0: Right now, I want to have a talk. It was a story that came out this week, and we've been uh, working to get uh, a guest on to join us and and get a little more into it, and we're going to do that now. We're going to have a discussion. You might have seen the story where military leaders saw the pandemic as a very unique opportunity to try and test, basically, propaganda techniques on Canadians. This is the Canadian military talking about doing this, uh, trying out some of these things on Canadians. Sounds a little ominous. So to tell us about it, we have Dr. John Ferris, who is a professor of history at the University of Calgary. He's also a fellow at the Centre for Military and Strategic Studies. Dr. Ferris, thank you for joining us today. I appreciate it. Glad to be here, sir. So when we take a look at this story, basically, um, what are we talking about here? What do we know about the plan that the Canadian military had put together as in a way to sort of test out some propaganda techniques around the pandemic?
1: Well, the Ottawa Citizens of Freedom of Information was able to retrieve one major document from the Canadian Armed Forces from, last, from this present year. And it's also retrieved a few others that fall into the same pattern. And the pattern is, how do I phrase this? It sounds bad, but it's actually fairly amateurish. Okay. And it shows how disorganized uh, the Canadian Armed Forces are. In a nutshell, what you have are junior officers in the Canadian Joint Operations Command, which essentially commands everything except Special Forces, Mm -hmm. setting up plans to do exactly what you just said, to try to influence Canadian attitudes on, say, COVID-19, or to try to influence Canadian attitudes toward the military. And in doing so, what they're trying to apply are... Forms of behavior called influence operations, which essentially are ways by which military or military intelligence organizations shape public opinion. So that's the part that we don't like. Yeah. The good news is that the documents also show that as soon as these plans are brought to the attention of the highest levels of the Canadian Armed Forces, essentially what the CAF says is this is nuts. Right. You can't do this. So you've got this amateurish fractured situation where subordinate officers and specialist portions of the Joint Operations Command seem to have a pattern of preparing things that influence operations among Canadians at the highest levels of the military immediately tries to shut down when it hears about it.
0: Um, now, how far down the road did they get with this plan? And like you say, it's a bit of a pattern because... They've done this before, correct?
1: Yes. Yes, the pattern is the bigger thing. Um, Essentially, we don't really know how far down the line they get. My sense is that what you've got is paper planning, um, which then doesn't get very far. I mean, here let me try to explain the situation. Um, If you go through the, the list of requirements for the Joint Operations Command, A big part of it is we want you guys to develop the capabilities to conduct influence operations, to defend against cyber propaganda from other countries, et cetera, et cetera. And in fact, this is a very big part of what um, the Joint Operations Commander told what to do. On the other hand, the problem is that to do that in a vacuum is really, really hard technically. If you're going to conduct influence operations, you actually have to have a practical target to hit. Right. And so in effect, in order to prepare, you have to have plans that sound really ominous. And in fact, when I read them, I say to myself, boy, you people really need (laughs) to take a basic uh, study of military law and see what the military is and isn't allowed to do in Canada. But the reason they're doing it is because these specialists can't actually do their job unless they have special tasks to attack. And they're choosing really stupid special tasks to try to attack.
0: Did this come in terms of come into effect? I mean, like you say, senior military advisors, once it get to their level, they're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And I know politicians also stood up and said, hey, what are you guys doing? Put an end to this. How far down the road did they get
1: before the people above them said stop with this? They got to the point of formulating um, plans. They got to the point of circulating plans. Yeah. And then at a certain stage, essentially what happened is that other middle level people said, what's going on here? And then senior authorities said, stop it. My guess is that it's never really actually executed. But you may remember, you know, about a year and a half ago, there was a sort of military exercise in New Brunswick, where suddenly there were rumors of wolves threatening the entire population Mm -hmm. of New Brunswick. And it turns out, (laughs) bizarrely enough, that this is partly stemming from Uh, attempts by a reserve unit doing influence operations (laughs) to see how you would make things work. So this is really, in a sense, amusing and kind of dumb. But what really strikes me here is amateurish rather than nefarious.
0: So when we take a look at this, and obviously we're seeing, you know, like you say, it's not the first instance. We see that senior military leaders and politicians don't like this. Are they putting in steps to try and put an end to this or at least put some
1: controls on this? Judging, I can only judge from what you see in the face of the document. Um, the fact that senior officers are essentially saying in formal terms, this should not be done, this is illegal, don't do it, right. will have an effect on people in specialist offices. Even more, the fact that we're having this kind of a discussion in the open is right. going to affect the military, because the military does not like having its duty when it washed in public. And so the end result is that, yes, I think this will be will be shut down. But, you know, the broader context is the Canadian military historically has been really resistant to any kind of media scrutiny. It's really tried to keep itself aloof mm-hmm. from normal things. And if, if you think about Canadian military involvement, the degree of censorship was very notable until Afghanistan. But in the past 15 years, the Canadian military has actually opened itself up to media scrutiny, and in particular in Afghanistan, in ways that really it had never done before. So in a sense, it's feeling its way forward into a new environment for relations with media and the public. And the other thing I'd say is that, you know, worries about influence operations um, have to bear in mind the fact that we are the victim of influence operations from abroad. Sure. No one in their right mind, I think, is going to say um, Russian organizations are not involved in trying to um, manipulate attitudes toward COVID in North America on the basis of what we know of Russian subversion and influence operations, that's exactly what we would expect. And there should be an organization in Canada monitoring what's happening there. But I don't think it should be the military. They don't have the technical background to do it, and beyond that, the legal issues involving what the military is and is not allowed to do with Canadians are very important. We have to keep those barriers up.
0: Well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, especially, you know, when they're conducting operations within Canada. I mean, that enters a whole yes, new Yes, agreed. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Ferris, thank you so much for the chat this morning. I appreciate it. Good. Thank you very much. Good luck. Yep. Thank you very much. That's Dr. John Ferris, who is a professor of history at the University of Calgary and also a fellow at the Center for Military and Strategic Studies.